You're listening to Historically Speaking, brought to you by Kappa Kappa Gamma, with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. Hey Kay, do you have a Halloween costume picked out? No, unfortunately, no costume this year. Is yours ready? Well, I can't decide which founder I want to be, though with the giant composite that we made for the mini Stewart van, I guess I could be all six. I think that sounds like a great idea. Why don't you try it? <laughs> of course, with the same things as they are, I would really only get to wear the costume in my backyard. Well, that may be true this year, but remember, there's always next year. That is true. So today's topic is Halloween. Lots of Kappas will remember that when Kappa Kappa Gamma's headquarters was at 530 East Town Street in Columbus, Ohio, in an 1852 Civil War governor's mansion, we had our own ghost, the Pink Lady. For years, people reported seeing a woman in pink in the halls and the bedrooms of the building, but the stories didn't stop there. We heard about a small boy dressed in a nightdress at the top of the stairs. There was a couple in Victorian formal wear in the grand entrance hall. A soldier dressed in a Civil War uniform in the small parlor at the front of the house. And a presence in a bedroom that dented the seats of various pieces of furniture as though sitting, but without any visible body. Did you ever see any ghosts during one of your many stays at old headquarters? Well, no, I didn't. But one time when I was at headquarters for a council meeting, the evening after we'd met all day, the council members were all relaxing and talking in the president's parlor before we went to bed. When all of a sudden, we felt a gentle breeze and the four upper doors on the Victorian desk that was there quietly opened. Needless to say, we were all surprised and tried to figure out how that could happen. But we finally wondered if the pink lady might be telling us it was time to go to bed. <laughs> oh my gosh, I hadn't heard that story, but I do remember hearing about how you all burned the midnight oil at council meetings. <laughs> I think the pink lady's advice was sound. And do you remember when we were both at headquarters late at night alone, working on sesquicentennial stuff several years ago, and we heard glass break. Naturally, it was a stormy night, so we were already jittery in that dark old beauty of a building. We swore that a window had broken, and rather than bother Ronnie or the police, we armed ourselves with a skateboard <laughs> and a three-hole punch and investigated the noise. <laughs> we climbed all the way up to the Belvedere above the third floor and all the way back down through all of the hallways. The source of the sound was on the first floor in the staff dining room. <laughs> oh, there was an old faux wooden clock hanging in the staff dining room and the thunder shook enough that the clock fell off the wall and the glass broke. So much for our ghostly encounter that night. I know, I was so glad that we didn't have a ghostly encounter, but I sort of wished we had, just so that we could tell the story later. At any rate, it is often said that nearly every example of a ghost story told today can be traced back to the influence of William Shakespeare, Charles Dickens, and Oscar Wilde. And while ghosts in the theater make up a great many of the examples of ghosts and ghost stories, it's the Victorians who are credited with the classic ghost story that's familiar to us today. And that's not just because of Dickens, though his A Christmas Carol is certainly one of the most widely known. 
As we get closer to Halloween in November, we're getting closer to the end of summer, the harvest, and days begin to get shorter and shorter. Most historians trace Halloween back more than 2,000 years ago to the Celts who celebrated their new year on November 1st. And they believed that the night before the new year, the veil between the world of the living and the dead was thinner or even lifted, making it much easier for ghosts to cross back and forth. Of course, bonfires and costumes were part of their ceremonial celebrations, but surprise, candy was not a part of those ceremonies. So that's the short explanation of where Halloween came from. Bring in the playwrights, the writers, and audiences with a healthy imagination and some amount of superstition, and you find yourself in the midst of generations of people who appreciate a good ghost story. And do you know who else like ghost stories? Our founders. They were definitely products of their time. Since, like you said, the Victorians are really where we get what we would consider the classic ghost story. We have long pointed to a party at the home of founder Lou Stevenson in the early days of the fraternity as the very first social event of Alpha Chapter. The story was told by Alice Pillsbury, one of the first new members to be initiated by the founders. She described a delightful Halloween supper in Lou's home like this. The campus were seated at a long table set with exquisite linen and silver. Every alternate place was left vacant for an expected ghostly visitor. At midnight, the doors were open to the darkness outside, unlit by street lamps or lights from any kind of vehicle. Shadowy white figures entered and took the empty chairs. When they removed their sheets from over their heads, they were recognized to the girl's great relief as their boyfriends. Mrs. Stevenson had secretly invited them and the conspiracy had not been revealed. History has recorded this first social, a rather rollicking Halloween party, and still with another fortune-telling event at midnight in the local cemetery. At the cemetery? At midnight, I am not even sure my trusted Kappa sisters could get me to a cemetery for a fortune-telling event, even if they promised to tell me a good fortune. I'm not sure I'd attend that part either. But I do think it's interesting to note that while today's campus Halloween parties are often filled with raucous crowds, this party was quite small and intimate, with just a few friends and sisters. I love the idea of Lou's mom organizing the party for her daughter and her friends, but I'm not certain that that would go over quite as well today. You're right. Early campus were concerned with academics, scholarship, and what their responsibilities should be as new women, enjoying the privileges of fraternal life. Chapters held social activities such as receptions, but tended to keep a low profile in light of the feelings among some institutions and faculty that fraternal groups constituted a schism or caste system among the students. Oh, I say this a lot, but I really was born in the wrong time. These low profile gatherings are definitely more my speed. Mine too. Hey Kylie, you know, I just realized we were so eager to tell everyone about the first Alpha Chapter social 
we never actually stated what the original question was for this episode. <laughs> no. So let's go back. We had a Kappa ask us about how the founders celebrated holidays. But we really only know about this one thanks to Alice Pillsbury's account. But in a future episode, I think we'll ask Dr. Oz from the Stewart House to join us and tell us how the Stewarts might have celebrated holidays. She has some really interesting research that she's found. That sounds like a great idea. I can't wait to hear what she found out. Well, thank you again for helping me, Kylie, to answer this question. No, thank you. You're the one that always is so helpful to remind me of these questions and the answers that you found when writing Historically Speaking. Hardly anyone remembers that first Kappa Social, so I'm glad that we could record these details for posterity. And listeners, if there's a question that you want us to answer, you can email us at archives at kkg.org. We'll catch you next time. Thank you, everyone, for listening. You've been listening to Historically Speaking, brought to you by Kappa Kappa Gamma, with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. Our headquarters is in Columbus, Ohio. Our house museum, the Mini Stewart House, is in Monmouth, Illinois. And you can find us online at kappa.org. All Things 150th is at our special website, kappaturns150.org. And you can peruse our digital archives at kappa.historyit.com. Research is by former fraternity president and former fraternity historian Kay Smith-Larson from Beta Pi Chapter at the University of Washington. And production is done by me, Kylie Smith, archivist and museum director for Kappa Kappa Gamma. Thank you.